So let's pray. Oh, sweet Jesus, I thank you uh, that you did not just come to die for us. You came to suffer like us for us. And I pray that we would see that clearly this evening and that you would change our entire perspective of the Godhead and how much they truly are for us. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So why this matters to me, I, um, soon after I met Hannah and her family, about a year after that, in 2016, I had been in ministry for about five years, five or six years, um, after my baptism, after going through processes like many of you are going through, of hearing new things and weighing it out, counting the cost, making my decision. And I was doing ministry, and God was blessing that ministry. And I say this in a, in a humble sense. I'm not snapping my suspenders. In fact, I'm not wearing any. I think he is, though. Um, but not that he would snap them, but he does wear suspenders, and he pulls it off very nicely. I don't think I could do that. But I, I, I had a ministry that people would, would, would say is going well. I was teaching in an academy setting, investing in high schoolers, and I was working in a media ministry. But there's a problem with ministry going well and success in ministry. We can kind of get a feeling that I kind of understand Scripture. I'm starting to get some basic understanding. It's super deep and super, you know, intimidating Scripture is. But, like, God is so good to help us understand things. But I, I felt like I knew more. What I came to understand after meeting a friend of mine um, who, who became a friend at that stage I came to realize through a conversation with someone that I knew more about Jesus than I knew about myself. And this can happen in ministry, that it can almost feel as though we're so focused on telling other people about someone else that we maybe don't take the time to look in the mirror and look at our own lives and look at what's going on. And as I shared in my testimony uh, a while back, a couple weekends ago, I, I went through a home where divorce happened, and then my mom uh, had a horrific bout of domestic violence that she went through. Not at the hand of my father, the guy she married after my dad. And that trauma really messed me up for most of my life. And I was a pretty messed up kid. I couldn't focus in school, was just struggling through all of these things. And as I went through those experiences, I told people while I was in ministry, it's a miracle of God's grace that I don't have a bunch of baggage from what happened to me as a kid. And I honestly believed that, but nothing could have been further from the truth. I knew more about theology and the Adventist message and about the character of God and of His lovely Son, Jesus, than I did about myself. And it took a chance encounter. It wasn't chance. It was the hand of God. Someone told me about this book, a friend of mine that I went to Bible college with. He said, there's this guy who came to speak at our church. It's called The Hidden Half of the Gospel by Paul Conniff. He teaches at our school. Um, and he spoke at the academy earlier this year at, at Blue Mountain Academy. But he said, hey, Paul did share this stuff at my, my church. It's amazing. Like, you, you should read this guy's book. And my thought was, yeah, 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 I'll read it for somebody else because I don't have any baggage, I thought. And so I didn't read it. That was in 2014. Two years later, I'm living next door to 3ABN, a large television station that our denomination, uh, that, that, you know, is part of our denomination. And they, uh, the same friend said, hey, Paul's coming to a show at 3ABN. You should meet the guy. So I have him over for dinner at my place. And the guy starts dropping this mental health stuff from Scripture in ways I had never heard before. Like this guy was looking through the lens of Scripture in ways I had never thought about, through the lens of mental health. And he was blowing my mind. The problem is when you're really comfortable with stuff that blows people's mind, you talk about it like it's just air. 
I mean, maybe some of you feel like that with me this week. Like, this guy's saying stuff so fast, but like, I have no idea what you said 10 minutes ago. I'm still scraping my brains off the ceiling from that last thing you said. That can happen, right? And, and he did that to me as, as someone who was a minister of the gospel. And he made a statement. He said, every addiction we have in our life is us seeking to escape the pain that we're feeling and to numb the pain that we're feeling. And I remember thinking to myself, that's the most profound thing I've ever heard in my life, first of all. But the second thought was, where's the pain? I never cried myself to sleep at night from that childhood trauma. I never saw a therapist. Now, I was hardly functional in an academic setting and so forth. I was just surviving life largely and numbing pain most of the time. But I didn't understand. But here's the question. Do you think God knew where the pain is? But do you think I was asking? No, that's the problem. I literally had spent all this time in ministry, and I would have different interpersonal issues, but we all have those, right? I mean, I'm assuming all of us have those, or maybe I'm the only guy who's got issues, but, you know, we got that stuff, you know, we need a little, got some rough edges sometimes, we get a little prickly when certain things happen, and I was working through those, I was apologizing, but I didn't understand why I did what I did, and I didn't know what was really going on in the depths inside until I met Paul, and he had some videos he put on YouTube with a couple pastor friends And I was watching those uh, as I was driving to Maryland to our World Church headquarters to meet with some people. And it literally, as that, what was going on, as I was watching those videos, it was literally like somebody yanked back a shower curtain and I saw myself exposed in a way I had never been before. And for the first time in my life, I realized there's a desperately lonely and broken man living inside of me. I had no clue. And so this is something I'm very passionate about, what we're going to talk about this evening, because it was helping me to better understand what the solutions were to what I was starting to see in myself, right? We don't just want to focus on the negative. I got this, I got this, I got this. But we also are working through a process of realizing what's the solution. And what I have come to be the solution in my own experience is that there's a Savior who can relate to my wounds. There's a Savior who can relate to my pain. And I needed that, and I believe we all need that, and this is going to provide us answers because when you leave these meetings and stuff happens, and it's going to happen to all of us, that we're going to make mistakes, we're going to do things we thought we would never do again. That happens sometimes, and it's not over. I want you to know that tonight. I want want to have a heart-to-heart conversation with you as someone who loves you and has been sharing with you week after week after week. Just because we make declarations and surrenders, that doesn't mean that your flesh goes away. It doesn't. And there may be times, I hope it doesn't happen, as it says in 1 John 2, Beloved, I wish you didn't sin. But if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen? Amen. So just understand, when those things happen, I hope and pray to the Lord Jesus that you'll come back to tonight's message. And remember that there's a God who's fighting for you, that there's a Savior who's acquainted with what you're going through. He never sinned, but He suffered like you in all points as we have. And I hope and pray that this can be a blessing to you. So this is why I'm so passionate about this. So what I want to walk through now is the story of Jesus. And you may hear some things you've never heard before. I heard stuff I'd never heard before as a minister of the gospel as I started reading scripture through this lens. So I hope this can be helpful. All of these slides are going to be in the Google Drive folder we've been sharing before. And with the handout actually will give you a list of of these things. So I would encourage you to just sit back and enjoy the ride. You can take notes if you want to, 
But we're going to have to kind of go rapid fire through things that Jesus went through with references. You're going to get every one of those references in the handout. Okay, so I would encourage you to just take in what you're hearing and I'll give you the handout. And if that's not enough, I'll give you whatever you want. But just please be present. Okay, please don't be so distracted by writing and th- just try to take in what you're hearing because it's going gonna, it's gonna to move fairly quickly. Okay, so in Matthew chapter one, we're, wo- we're looking through the life of Jesus now and things that he went through and his experiences that can relate to us. Again, this, this evening's topic is entitled Jesus Understands. I almost said it in Spanish. Last time I did this was in Cuba. Um, Jesus Understands. Okay, I was super close. I almost did it. All right. So in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, Jesus was conceived out of wedlock. Now, no sin was involved here, but we don't really think about what this really cost. Think about Mary. Mary gets this gift from God. She's greeted by an angel saying that you're going to give birth to the Messiah your nation has been longing for. But the problem is she's never known a man. And she's going to come back. She left for a while. She went to go see her cousin and she comes back and girl's pregnant. And she has to tell people, well, no, 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 I still haven't been with anybody. I'm still engaged to Joseph. I haven't been with anybody. Imagine how Joseph is feeling right now, first of all. Homegirl leaves, and she comes back pregnant, and you're supposed to not be upset about that. You know, this is difficult, guys. This is a costly thing that she had to go through. Holy Spirit, huh? What's his name? This, this is difficult. Now, no sin is involved here, but it's a heavy weight that she's bearing. And this doesn't leave here. Because even while Jesus is ministering, it's in John 5, 6, or 7, I always forget, but there's this statement that the Pharisees and Sadducees make as kind of a a pop shot at Jesus. They say, we know who our father is because they know there's this ambiguous father figure in Jesus' life that we know Joseph's not the real dad. Now, I was at my parents' wedding. It looked like somebody smuggled a watermelon under my mom's wedding dress. I don't remember much because kind of in my own bubble at that stage. But the point is, in Southern Baptist circles, this was not something that was looked upon favorably, to be pregnant outside of wedlock. Now, I'm not endorsing premarital sex or being pregnant at your wedding and so forth. I'm not endorsing that. But my point is, there's a lot of shame that can be felt in that context. And Jesus is acquainted with that shame, though no sin was involved in this circumstance. Are you understanding? Jesus had to bear the weight of that. Mary had to bear the weight of that. Joseph even had to bear the weight of that. And I think we overlook what happens in Jesus's life. How many people in this room have parents who are really important figures in some form or fashion? And I don't just mean in your eyes, like, I think my mom's the coolest. I mean, like, like they were like city council members, pastors, presidents, whatever, like big wigs. And if you mess up, it's going to be really bad. Like you felt the weight of the position of your parents. How many people have ever wrestled with that? You, you had to bear the weight of the position of your parents. Yeah, I've, I've counseled pastors' kids and even well-known ministers' kids, and what they go through is no joke. It's difficult because if I show up to church in the wrong clothes, mom's going to hear about it, dad's going to hear about it, people are going to think that mom and dad are terrible parents, all that stuff, right? If I get kicked out of school or get in trouble, all this weight, and so they never really feel like they can be who they are. They have to be what everyone else expects them to be. Are you with me? It's a, it's a difficult weight that many people don't realize if they've never been there. Yeah, but imagine being Jesus. He's the Son of God. If he stumbles in word, thought, or deed at any point in his experience, he will never see the light of day again. He will never see the Father again, and the entire universe itself may implode. You think Jesus knows anything about pressure? Yeah. He went through this for you, beloved. 
Jesus understands that weight and that pressure. He's been there. Are you with me? Then we get to Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 14. We're told that Jesus was beaten beyond the point of recognition. I'm not going to go into graphic detail this evening, but the beatings that Jesus went through were so intense that you cannot physically recognize who this man is when they're done with him. It was no joke. And we covered this in our third message together, that his emotional and spiritual sufferings exceeded his physical, but that does not diminish the fact that they were intensely physical. Are you with me? Why did he go through this? Because my mom was beaten beyond the point of recognition. And he wants her to know that he understands. Some of us have suffered at the hand of unjust physical violence. Jesus understands that. He's been there. And he chose that path for you, for my mom, for me, and the fear that I still wrestle with because of that. In Isaiah chapter 53, we're told that Jesus was tempted to feel totally unattractive. You ever felt like you weren't enough? Felt that weight? We're told that there's nothing about Jesus that would draw us to him. We're told that he was despised and rejected by men. You ever been rejected? Oh, it's terrible. Jesus knows what that's like. He's acquainted with grief. He didn't have an easy life in this world. He had a very difficult life. People hid their faces from him. You ever have people deny that they know you, that you thought would be there for you and just completely ghost you in a time you need them the most? He was despised and no one esteemed him, and he was tempted to feel alone in his grief. You ever been there? Tempted to feel alone in your grief? Yeah, Jesus has too, and he did it just for you. He was overwhelmed with sorrow and grief. You ever been there where like you're, you're pleading to Jesus and tell him, I have hit my limit. I got nothing else to give, Jesus. This is all I've got. When is this going to end? Yeah, Jesus understands that. He's been there. He felt smitten, stricken, and afflicted by God. You ever felt like every flaming dart from heaven is coming in your direction? Yeah, he understands what that's like. He was wounded, bruised, chastised, and received many stripes. Continuing in Isaiah 53, he was oppressed and abused. You ever dealt with oppression in any form or fashion or abuse unjustly? Yeah, Jesus understands that. He was mistreated, falsely accused, put into prison, and in court. Unfortunately, there are many people in our criminal justice system today. I used to do prison correspondence, and there's people who can show some stuff that no one wanted to listen to them. Can you imagine being falsely accused for things that you never did, and no one would listen to you? No one would give you the time of day? No one would advocate for you? Yeah, Jesus knows exactly what that's like. He died childless, was never married. Again, he was found guilty for things that he never did, and he died for things that he was totally innocent of. Maybe you got in trouble for something that was heavy, not just little things like my sister didn't take out the trash and I got in trouble. I mean heavy stuff. And no one would listen to you. No one would advocate for you. No one would stand up for you, and you bore that weight by yourself, and maybe you're still bitter about it. Maybe you're still wrestling with the weight of that, and there's still a dark cloud hanging over you and your reputation because no one would believe that you had nothing to do with what they're saying. Jesus has been there. Now, he didn't get to the point of bitterness, but he's had to deal with that dark cloud. Where did you come from? Who's your real dad? You're not one of us. You don't keep the law like we keep it. You're leading people astray. He's a drunkard and a crazy man. Jesus understands that weight. 
being falsely accused. Then we get to Psalm 22, was tempted to believe that he was totally forsaken of God. You ever been there? Feel like God isn't there when you need him the most? He was tempted to believe that God wasn't hearing or helping him when he needed him the most. You ever been there? Praying your guts out and you feel like nothing's happening? It gets worse because in verses 4 to 6, he remembered that other people received help when they prayed, but didn't feel that his own prayers are being heard or responded to. You ever been there? For some of us, testimony time is crippling. Everybody's got testimonies. Jesus is active in their life. But when I pray, I get cricket sounds. When I pray, the heavens are as brass to my request, and they mock me on their way to the floor of my room. You ever been there? Jesus has. Psalm 22 was despised and ridiculed, and people mocked him for being a child of God. Maybe some of you are in that place right now. You're making big decisions for Jesus, and the people around you don't understand. They lost their mind, man. These people have gone crazy. I've been there. Right? I've been misunderstood by people close to me. I lost nearly every friend I had, and my relationship has never been the same with some family members. Because I don't know how to relate to them, and they don't know how to relate to me, because my whole world is different. When Jesus came in, things got really different, and they got really hard doesn't really seem like the best witness when you end up homeless for accepting Jesus. Your family gets kind of concerned about that. I've been there. And in these moments, it can be difficult. And people mocked Jesus for being a child of God. And maybe you're there right now. And if you are, you've got a Savior who understands. Amen? I said amen. amen. He does get it, guys. He's been there. He knows what that's like. He felt totally exhausted and empty and as if he had no strength left. Again, you got nothing left to give. He's been there. He understands that. He was stripped of his clothing and cried out to God for help. Now, the inspired writings don't tell us all of what happened to Jesus. But what I can say is, in principle, Jesus went through something that statistically more than one person in this room has gone through stripped of their clothing, and cried out to God for help. Jesus went through this in principle just for you. Just for you. He came to understand that God was listening and hadn't abandoned him, and that can be your story too, amen? And he was filled with praise as a result. We get to Matthew chapter 2. Jesus was a refugee and had to flee his homeland due to violence and political unrest. I'm not getting political here this evening, but this is the truth, and I hope you're not going to get political. This happens. There are people who are suffering right now in this world, and they're wondering if anybody cares. And Jesus raises his hand and says, absolutely, there is someone who cares. I know what you're going through. There was a death decree when Jesus was born. They had to leave. His parents did. They were poor, and they had to leave Jerusalem, leave the whole land of Israel, and go to Egypt for a span. And he went through that to be able to relate to people who are suffering right now because their homeland is no longer home. It's no longer safe to be called home for political or other unrest. In Matthew chapter 4, again, he's tempted to doubt his identity as a a child of God. Satan comes up to him and says, if you're the son of God, prove it. He was tempted to provide for his own needs instead of trusting God to provide for him. You ever been there? God says, wait doesn't show up when you want him to, so you take care of business. You ever been there? I've been there. Reminds me of King Saul. He was told by Samuel, wait here until I come. He didn't come when he thought he should, so he starts offering his own sacrifice. Hey, it's religious. 
You ever been there? Look, I'm going to do something religious. I'm going to do me. I'm going to make those calls, wheel and deal, take care of business. And I will fulfill God's promise for him because he forgot about me. We can get real here this evening, guys. This happens. Abraham and Sarah wrestled with this, the father of the faithful. He was tempted to comfort himself with food when stressed. Shots fired, right? You ever been there? You ever stress eat? Jesus was tempted to. The devil doesn't show up to him on day one of his fast. He shows up to him on day 40, when every ounce of his body is longing for food. Snap your fingers, Jesus, and you can have lunch. And could he? Yeah. But would he? No. Jesus overcame. Jesus said no to empower you and I to say no when we're tempted to distress eat. Amen? Amen? That's good news, beloved. He was tempted to prove his worth in pride. You ever have somebody get in your face and tell you what you aren't? And your immediate instinct is to clench your fist and get back? I told you, we're going to get real tonight. And it's okay to do that in church. You know that, right? Amen. It's okay to get real in church. Because the Bible is full of God being real with his people. We talked about that last night too. Jesus didn't do it. He was tempted, but he didn't do it. Again, to give you and I strength to compose ourselves and turn the other cheek and not do that. Jesus was tempted to physically harm himself. This is a big issue, especially with young people. Self-harm, cutting, burning, attempted suicide. The devil tells him, throw yourself off this temple, Jesus. Angels will catch you to presumptuously put himself in harm's way and harm himself. Jesus went through this at the principal level just for these young people and maybe just for you. He was tempted to give up everything, uh, all of his faith in God to receive everything this world had to offer. You ever been there? Give up this Jesus stuff and I'll give you whatever you want. It's not working for you anyway. You're still the same person. Quit wasting your time. Come join my team. You ever heard those thoughts? Yeah, Jesus was given those same thoughts. Just bow down, Jesus, and I'll give you everything you see. In Matthew chapter 14, a close friend and relative of Jesus's was brutally murdered, John the Baptist. Maybe you lost somebody because of violent crime, thoughtless act of violence, reckless driver, drunk driver, whatever it may be. Jesus understands. He went through this. In Mark chapter 3, his own family thought he was out of his mind. Maybe some of you are there right now. Jesus understands that. They try to come into the house where he was preaching and pull him out of there. This guy's crazy. He's not eating, staying up too late. We'll go take care of him because he won't take care of him. But he said, my food is to do the will of my Father who sent me. This is the most important thing for me to be doing right now. And for many of you, where you are is the most important thing for you to be doing right now. Because you're investing in your eternal life. Amen? God can handle that. There are many testimonies in this room that I can share with you, pastor can share with you, others can share with you. God can handle that stuff. What he needs from you right now is your decision, your willingness to commit. He can handle all the other stuff that comes from that. In John chapter 7, his own brothers mocked him and didn't believe in him. You know, family's knives, they go way deeper, don't they? Our family has ways to hurt us that nobody else can. The stuff they can say and do is just deeply wounding and painful. I was teaching at a school once, or speaking at a school once, and I heard the story about a young man. His older sister graduated. It was a boarding school, kind of like what Blue Mountain Academy has. And so it wasn't near where they lived. And they were staying at this school, and it wasn't Blue Mountain Academy, by the way. It's a different school. But the older sister, they had their graduation. Since they're not living there, they used a staff house 
They agreed to have the party there to celebrate the sister's graduation. The staff was totally fine with that. And the mom, the biological mom of this boy, points to this young man who's not in high school yet, points to him and tells him, you will never accomplish what your sister just accomplished in front of everybody. This is his mother. Didn't believe in him. Tore him down in front of everyone. Destroyed this kid publicly. A few years later, that boy does go to the academy. How do you think he did? He struggled. Deeply struggled. And he also had a problem that almost got him kicked out on multiple occasions. You know what that was? Womanizing. He was desperate to be loved and accepted by a woman. I wonder why that was. Mom's a monster. It's simple math. But the academy was so horrified by what this woman said to her own son that they were not going to let her win. And they labored for this kid and labored for this kid and labored for this kid. And he probably wouldn't have graduated were it not for the fact that they'd been over backwards. And she would tell him, you're not going to graduate. And I'm going to make you sit in the front pew and watch all your classmates graduate while you don't. And the academy wasn't going to let that happen. And literally, this kid did graduate. Amen? Amen? I am proud of that school. I don't even care if he really shouldn't have graduated. They gave that kid a gift that he needed. He needed a W on his scorecard because life was hard for him. And to the best of my understanding, he's not really succeeded all that much in life since that point. It's been difficult for him, but at least he got that win. Amen? Amen. There's people out there with hearts and souls, thankfully. But when our family speaks unbelief into us, it can destroy us, guys. And some of you may be dealing with that right now, and you need to know that Jesus understands that. Things are said in a thoughtless manner, in a hurtful manner, and whether they truly mean that and how that's really they, how they feel about you, it doesn't make it any less painful in the moment, does it? To assume the best about them and hope it goes away, hey, that's great, but it's still going to hurt. And when it hurts, come back here and recognize that Jesus understands how you feel right now. Are you with me? He gets it. In Matthew chapter 26, he wrestled with accepting the will of God for his life and being willing to go through the suffering that it would cost him. Again, people in this room are counting that cost, and it's difficult. Your life would be a lot easier if you weren't here for some of you. You wouldn't have so many questions. You wouldn't have so many things to work through. But I tell you what, beloved, the decision you're making is for your eternal good. And Jesus went through it because it was for your eternal good. You are what kept him motivated to keep going through the difficult stuff that his flesh didn't want to go through. And you know what that tells me? That he can be the motivation that keeps you going when you're going through difficult things that you don't want to go through. Amen? It's how it works. Jesus, as our elder brother, paved the way for you and for me. He was betrayed by a close friend. You ever someone close to you stab you in the back? He has. Judas betrayed him. And he was betrayed by a kiss. I hope that's not your story, but maybe it is. Maybe you've been betrayed by a kiss. Someone had an affair. Maybe you yourself have been the one who have betrayed through a kiss and have had an affair. Or maybe mom or dad had an affair and tore the family apart. Whatever it may be. Jesus went through this in principle to relate to you. 
Can you imagine that heartbreak of Judas turning on him like that and selling him? In Matthew chapter 26, he was abandoned by his friends in his greatest time of need. You ever been there? People you were just sure would be there, and they weren't. Jesus gets it. One of his closest friends denied that he even knew him, ghosted him when he needed him most. Aren't you with this guy? No. I don't know who you're talking about. He didn't receive a fair trial, and people lied to secure his conviction. He was spat upon and abused by religious leaders. Maybe some of us in this room, and statistically it's possible, and maybe some of us were abused by religious leaders, not because of what they did to us, but because of what they did to people that are close to us, people that we thought we could trust. Pennsylvania has been sacked by this. We can't ignore that. And when these things happen, Jesus understands what it's like. Maybe some of you have been abused because people in the church destroyed your reputation in front of the church. You know, the gossip mill, the backbiting, all that foolishness. Yeah, Jesus was a victim to that too. Maybe you've been physically, sexually, or politically abused by someone in religion. Jesus understands at a principal level on most of those and some of those on a literal level. In Matthew chapter 27, one of his closest friends commits suicide. You ever lost someone close to you by suicide? Judas hung himself. I lost my cousin, a young man, late 20s, 27, 28. Josh is gone. We can't get him back. Life wasn't going well for Josh at this stage, and all he had going for him was a girlfriend. She broke up with him. Life hurt, man. He goes to the bar and asks her, I think it's where she worked, a bar or a restaurant. So would you reconsider? And she said no. And Josh went out into the parking lot and ended his life. Josh is gone. If you've lost someone close to you through suicide, Jesus understands that. And he can comfort us in ways that nobody else can. He was brutally beaten, tortured, stripped, and mocked by the equivalent of law enforcement in the military. Again, I'm not getting political this evening, but this does happen. People abuse their power. Religious folk, people in other forms of authority. Jesus went through this for you, beloved. Just for you, if you've been there. Somebody overstepped those bounds and did what they should not have done with the powers entrusted to them. Jesus understands. He was tempted to numb his pain with wine. You ever been there? This is where every addiction comes into play, right? Maybe it's not wine. Maybe it's something else, controlled substances, illegal substances, whatever it may be. Every addiction comes down to this very area. We're seeking to, to escape the pain. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's just human sympathy. Whatever it may be, Jesus understands the temptation to numb pain. But here's the good news, beloved. Jesus said no. Amen? And Jesus said no to empower you to say no. Not with your strength, but with His. He did it just for you and just for me. In Matthew chapter 27, He was stripped naked, exposed publicly, and shamed by leaders who should have been protecting Him for good. There's a massive circumstance going on in the last series of years, especially amongst young people, of in a moment of thoughtlessness, sending an image to another person. I'll never show anyone. That's never true, by the way, ladies. That's never true. 
People commit suicide over this. It ruins their lives. They lose jobs. This happens, guys. And Jesus went through this in principle. He was shamed and humiliated publicly just for you, just for them. He was tortured alive and he was tempted again to doubt his identity as the Son of God. And he was tempted to believe that he was forsaken of God and abandoned to suffer alone. You ever been there? He has. He felt totally unappreciated by those that he was giving his life for. How about that one? Parents, you ever been there? Giving and giving and giving and you just get scorn and disrespect in response. If your kids are here, don't say anything. Disagree in your mind. Kids, maybe you've been there making sacrifices for mom. I could have left the nest years ago, but she's lonely, so I'm still here. There's all kinds of stuff that happens in life, but you're giving and making sacrifices. I'm not calling, I don't know you people, I don't know your stories. So anyway, I'm just making that clear. But my point is like, we, we can go through circumstances where we are giving and giving and giving and people don't give back. You ever been there? I've been there. I was just talking to a friend about that this week, where you give and give and give. And I tell you what, I'm not saying this for sympathy and don't, don't feel sorry for me, but ministry is not easy. And, and those of you who are in this grind, you know exactly what I'm talking about, because it's assumed that you've got to be on all the time and be everything for everyone else. But you know how many times I get people asking me truly and sincerely, how are you doing? And can I pray for you? I've been in ministry 10 years, and it's been less than 10 times. I don't do it for that. I do it because it's a calling, and God is faithful to sustain us and provide for us. But that doesn't mean that we don't have issues too, guys. I'm a mess. I need Jesus. I'm not better than you, never have been, never claimed to be. I got my stuff, and I need Jesus too. All of us do. And someone once told me, D, even tow trucks need tow trucks. <laughs> and it's true. And I've tried to be intentional in reaching out to minister friends and just asking them, no, how are you really doing? And whatever comes out of your mouth next will go nowhere but between you and me and let her rip. Because we need that space. We all need a place to be naked and unashamed. We all need that. And we need to be cared for. That's what the church was meant to be. So Jesus knows what it's like. In fact, we're told in the book Desire of Ages, that commentary in the life of Christ, that Jesus was often heartbroken over the fact that his disciples often grieved is the language that's used there. He was often grieved. He, well, this is what it says. The loneliness of Christ was never understood or appreciated as it should have been by the disciples. And he was often grieved because they did not give him that which he ought to have received from them. Jesus was lonely on this earth. He didn't get the care he should have gotten, even from his own disciples. And this is why he would spend full nights in prayer with God, because God was the only person that gave back, seemingly, apart from Mary Magdalene. And that's the irony. The one person who proactively gives back to Jesus is the very person that many people would be very uncomfortable if they walked in our church next Sabbath. And yet the Holy Spirit chose that person 
to give a sacrifice to Jesus, to pour the oil on his head and on his feet. And every time Jesus, during his sufferings, was tempted to believe that no one cares, and this is a futile sacrifice, every inhale reminded him that that's a lie and that he was willing to go through with it, even if it was just for her. Amen? Amen. So why did he go through all this? Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 11 tells us that he shall see the labor or the travail of his soul and be satisfied. I don't know about you, but if I were to read through the list that we've just gone through this evening and say, hey, this is what your life is going to look like. In my sinful, selfish flesh, my response is not to say, I'm satisfied with that. And yet Jesus was. While he's going through this hell on earth, he's satisfied. And as he looks back on what he went through, he's still satisfied. Why? Because by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. Jesus knew that this is what it would take to justify you. You're justified, he's satisfied. That's the gospel, beloved. And he shall bear their iniquities. He will bear our sins. Beloved, Jesus felt that you were worth all of this. You may not feel like you're worth it. It doesn't matter. That is an objective truth. The price has already paid, and Jesus cannot undie for you because you don't appreciate it. It's a done deal. So now the question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you with me? How will you respond to the accomplished work of Christ? Here's why he went through this. Hebrews 2 tells us, beginning of verse 14, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. Jesus made an intentional choice to not just die for humanity, but to suffer as humanity, with humanity, as a human. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Amen? Amen. That's you and that's me. It doesn't stop there. Therefore, in all things, Jesus had to be made like his brethren. He had to suffer in all points like you. Why? so that he could be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation covering for the sins of the people. Again, as it says in 1 John 2, Beloved, I wish you didn't sin, but if you do, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to aid those who are tempted. This is why he went through this, guys to be able to help you when you're struggling, when you're hurting, when you're wounded, when you trip and fall on your face in ways that you never thought you would ever again. You've got someone who can help. Paul, I I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. You can disagree with that, and that's fine. 
But the author of Hebrews in chapter 4, continuing on this theme of a suffering Messiah, says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest, a suffering Messiah, who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, what does he say to do next? Let us hold fast our confession. Now, why would he say that? Because he knows what it's like to be human, the author of Hebrews does, and so does Jesus. But he knows that in the face of our failures, of our discouragement, of our spiritual face plants, he knows the temptation is to think, why get up? This is who I am. This is the fruit that I produce. Why keep going through this madness? I told Jesus I would never do that 10 times. And here I am. You know what he's telling you? It's okay. Let's try this again. Beloved, many of us need to hear that this evening. Some of us maybe have fallen during these meetings. And we've had some nights and we thought... I don't know if I should even go there tonight, but you did, and I'm proud of you, and Jesus is proud of you, and even if you didn't, we're proud of you for coming tonight, amen? And this is a church that supports people through that journey of growth. We want you to know that. Why? Because we have a Savior who supports us in our growth, but here's the point. He tells us not to forsake our confession, but to hold fast our confession. Why? Because he knows that we're prone to let go of Jesus when we mess up. When life gets hard, and it's going to get hard. Just because you've been baptized and you're accepting powerful truths, the devil's not going to pat you on the back and shake your hand on your way out the door and say, congratulations, I've got a certificate for you too. He's not going to do that. But Jesus isn't going to leave you alone to his devices either. Amen? We need to hold fast to our confession. That's the point, guys. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore cut. And so this is what he tells us to do. Hold fast our confession. Jesus fully understands what we're going through, yet he didn't sin. So he can give you power to not stumble and fall either. But then this is what he tells us to do with this knowledge. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When life gets hard, and it will, I have never promised you that life is going to be easy making these decisions. It wouldn't be right to do that. But Jesus makes those difficulties possible and survivable, and he even gets testimonies out of them. Amen? That's the difference. Jesus never promised us freedom from difficulties. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. I've already overcome whatever's going to come at you. So cling to me and come boldly to me when it does happen. That's what he's saying. So we won't sell you a bad deal of goods here. It's going to happen. And when it does, come boldly into the presence of Jesus. And he makes this beautiful promise in John chapter 6. I believe it's verse 37. He says, He who comes unto me, I will in no wise cast out. She who comes unto me, 
I will in no wise cast out. Just keep coming, guys. The greatest key to success in the Christian experience is to keep getting up and to keep coming to Jesus. And if you do that, you will overcome. You will see the power of God manifest in your life. And you will be given a testimony that will make demons tremble. I want to close with the young man's story. Um, I was speaking at a camp meeting. You can go ahead if you want to start. I was speaking at a camp meeting to a group of young adults in 2016. Soon after I'd heard these things, I shared with you this evening. And as I'd heard these things, I was asked to speak at a campfire. So they'd have the adult meetings, and after the evening sermon, they would have kind of a campfire, and I'd be standing in the middle of this circle, and it's really hard to preach in a circle for obvious reasons. You can't stare at everybody. And I'm, and I'm preaching to these young adults, but a guy tells me, a layperson who's there, just a church member, says, hey, I've been studying the Bible with my neighbor. He's not a pastor. He's not a Bible worker. John Q. Church member giving Bible studies to his neighbor. Amen? Amen. And he says, this guy's got kids. One of his kids just got out of prison. Been in prison from the ages of like 15 to 17 or 15 to 19, something like that. Crazy stuff. In prison. As a young man. Says the guy just got out and they're coming tomorrow. Says the kid's going to have a GPS ankle bracelet on because he's on parole. And I said, praise God, I'd love to meet him. So we're talking. I have the evening meeting. It's his kid's first night there. He gets out of prison on a Thursday. Friday night, we're having the meeting, and I'm preaching my guts out to these young adults. You have any guess on what I shared with them that night? What we just talked about tonight. And we've got a Savior who understands. And as I'm preaching, there's just a campfire. But I can see their faces, and I can tell the Lord has a hold of them. When you do this for a living, you, just, you can just see it. Some of you are there right now. And as I'm speaking, I can tell God's speaking to this young man, but I don't know his story fully on what's happening in this moment. And as I'm closing, this girl behind me starts wailing, just ugly crying. Turns out she'd been sexually abused by somebody earlier in life, was living a promiscuous lifestyle and felt broken and dirty and hopeless. And for the first time in her life, she saw that Jesus could fill her in ways that none of these other people could. She lost it. Her friend that's trying to console her is also crying because she also is a victim of a similar situation. I saw the Spirit of God fall that night around that campfire in the middle of nowhere in Tennessee. I go to bed that night and I come back the next day, they have the church service, they have lunch, and then we have a hike. And this young man that's on parole comes up to me, and with deep earnestness and sincerity, he looks me in the eyes and says, Hey man, I just want you to know that that message last night spoke to me. It spoke to me deeply. And I said, Praise God. And as I was speaking to these young people and closing that message, I told them, Maybe you can't talk to your parents. I hope you can, but maybe you can't. You can come to Jesus. You can come boldly to his throne and he can help. Maybe you can't talk to your pastor. I hope you can. 
But if you can't, you can come boldly into the presence of Jesus and he will help you. And I closed in prayer and the meeting ended. I went home to bed. This young man's talking to me while we're on this hike. And he says, that message spoke to me. He said, by the way, I took you at your word, man. I said, what do you mean? He said, I went back to my tent and I told Jesus everything. Everything. What's been done to me, what I've done to other people, I told him everything. And it felt so good. And for the first time in my life, I have peace. This kid's been out of prison for 24 hours and the first thing that he encounters is the everlasting gospel, a suffering Messiah who understands his heartbreak, his disappointment, and his wounds. But for many of us, stability is a scary thing because we've only lived in the midst of chaos and failure. And for some of us, it's going to take a little while to fully believe that the gospel's true. We may believe it now, but when we mess up, we may just think, you know, it, my default mode is to set the curtains on fire and cause problems. It's hard for me to live a different life. It's hard for me to live a life of peace and stability. I know that because one of my parents struggled with that. My mom did for most of my life. Something I didn't share, by the way, is that my mother's been married and divorced seven times. I can testify before you today that Jesus is husband number eight. Amen? She's found Jesus. And he's doing a work in her life too. And I'm so thankful for that. But for some of us, stability is scary. And it may be hard to walk in that initially. It'll be a process for you. And that's fine. Just keep walking it. It'll take care of it. Jesus will get you through it, man. And so in this circumstance, a couple days go by after that hike... And this young man, in a moment of thoughtlessness, cuts off the ankle bracelet and runs. The cops find him, and he goes back behind bars for years. I haven't heard a recent report. He may still be there. But think with me, guys. Think about the goodness of God. That this young man in the small window that he's out from behind bars, the first thing he encounters is a Savior who knows his grief. A Savior who knows his pain and his heartbreak. And do you think Jesus is going to leave that kid alone behind bars? Absolutely not. And for some of us, we may need to have that isolation for a while. To learn how to walk in this thing without distractions. But Jesus is working for him, guys. He's not going to let him go. and He's not going to give up on him. And he's not going to let go of you. Amen? Amen. And he's not going to leave you alone. Because you've seen a picture of Jesus that can radically change your life. And it's not just something that can change your life. It can change your family's life, your children's life, your spouse's life, your friend's life, your co-worker's life. Someone's got to tell them. Are you with me? So as my friend Chingo comes up to sing and as Tobin plays, I want you to think about what you've heard tonight. And I want you to be ruminating over what decision am I going to make? What am I going to determine in my heart of hearts right now while the tree is, is largely green? That before the trials come in my life, before the difficulties come, before the failures come, that you're going to determine in your heart and your mind right now 
that when that day comes, I'm going to run into the presence of Jesus. I'm going to come boldly to Him, and I'm going to let Him dust me off, pick me up, and keep going. The Apostle Paul pleaded with God to take the thorn in his flesh away three different times. And the answer that God gave him was, my power is made perfect in your weakness. So, beloved, this is not the time to forsake our allegiance to Jesus and our commitment to Jesus. It's our time to press into his presence. When those days come, and they certainly will, it's not over. He's not done with you. And please don't choose to be done with you either. Are you with me? Come boldly into the presence of Jesus. He'll be there for you, and he'll see you through it. As you've got your decision cards, I uh, would like you to pull those out now. And then what I'd like to do after we have these decision cards, after you check the boxes, I'd like to have people who feel so inclined to come forward. I'd like to pray for you, a prayer of consecration. Um, you've made some big decisions in our time together, and we don't take that lightly. We want to pray for you in this. But as you've got the decision cards, all the numbered boxes correlate to what you see on the screen just now. And so decision number one is, I understand that the Bible doesn't just tell of a Savior who died for the world, but who also suffered just for me. And if that's you, check box number one. I understand that the Bible doesn't just tell of a Savior who died for the world, but who also suffered just for me. Number two, I want to give my wounded heart to this suffering Savior. I want Him to have my life broken though it may be. It's all I got, Jesus. And if you'll have me, and if you'll take it, then use it. Reminded the lyrics of a song that if you would choose to use me, my Savior, in spite of my fears and all of my failures, I'm not much to look at, but whatever I am, I'm yours. I'm yours. Jesus, use me. I'm yours. If that's you, check that box. Number three, I want to commit to sharing these beautiful truths I've been learning with the people around me, as we talked about last night, to put an end to their pain. If that's you, check box three. Number four, you saw people being baptized this evening or rebaptized, and you realize this is for me. God is calling me to say, I do in a public marriage confession to Jesus, committing my life to Him. That's you. Check that box. The number five, you have questions. You have prayer requests. We want help. <coughs> we want to help. Fill that out. And we're happy to, to do what we can in that regard. Has this made sense this evening? Yes or no? Then for those who are hearing a distinct call of God in their lives, and you realize that the call that, that is being laid upon my heart is bigger than me, my past is bigger than me, my genetic disposition is bigger than me, my inherited and cultivated tendencies are bigger than me, the calling that God has for me and who He's asking me to invest in and reach is bigger than me. Join the party, first of all. <laughs> that's all of us. But second of all, if that's you, and you'd like to come forward for an intentional prayer and to make that public declaration, I want Jesus to have all of me and I need prayer to make it through this, then I invite you to come forward. We'll keep our masks on. We can kind of spread out and keep our distance. But I think this is important. If that's you, I want to invite you to come forward tonight. Come forward and say, Jesus, I want in. 
I, I want all of your power, all of your strength, all of your support. If you want to stand in your pew, you can. If you want to come forward, you're welcome to come forward. That's totally up to you. But I want to give this opportunity for special prayer, for consecration, and to make that decision. If that's you, come forward. Amen. Amen. And you can just spread out. We've got this whole front here. Amen. All right, let's pray. Sweet Jesus, you've seen us respond. You've spoken to us night after night after night. And God, the Spirit of God is present here. We feel it. We see it. We sense it. And I pray that that would not soon go away. And that we would know that there's someone who's willing to be our battle buddy, to see us through the difficulties that are sure to come from making these decisions. And Lord, I pray that you would give us great confidence and surety in the strength of one whose hands fail not. We entrust our lives into your care. I pray for those friends who stood this evening and who recognize that they have nothing to offer you but themselves, broken vessels. But as Chingo sang so beautifully tonight, while wrestling with his own surrender to this, we heard it, made it even more precious. But Lord, as that's the case, Lord, in our brokenness, you shine. God, I'm so thankful that you're not ashamed of us. And Jesus, I'm thankful that you're not ashamed to call us brethren. And so as we come into your presence tonight, we pray in a very special way that you would forgive our sins. That you would cover them with the blood of Jesus that you would send your spirit in great measure into this place and that you would do in, through, and for us what we are wholly incapable of doing for ourselves. We're not much to look at, but whatever we are, we're yours. Use us, O God, we pray. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.